This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We welcome all of you if you're a visitor. We like to have visitors here. Uh, we're a church full of imperfect people, letting the love of God help us out. So bless all of you. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up, and I highly encourage you to get the Bible in your hand and make that a daily habit where you, you get in the Word of God. You get in God's Word, and God will get on the inside of you. And so part of that of what I just said, you'll see that this morning, the uh, power of the Word of God and also uh, servanthood today. If you got your Bible, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we'll talk a little bit today again, just to fill in the blank on some things here on the last hurrah. Uh, next week, the upcoming weeks, we'll start getting over onto heaven and hell. Um, topics that I believe really need to be taught about. And one of the uh, questions I have a lot, if God is a loving God, how can he send anybody to hell? And so those are the next coming weeks we'll talk about them. But today we're going to look at a little different slant on it. And so none of us in this room, we, we cannot settle for comfort over my commitment to God. And I can't settle for comfort over my convictions to God. Jesus himself said in, in Matthew nine twenty three, he said, If anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and daily follow him. And so, number one, I, if I desire to, he gives me the invitation, but I, I'm going to have to deny myself. And then one of the big things is it's a daily deal. That serving God is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's a daily thing that I, I partake of. And so we begin here in the book of Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. The message says, let me tell you why you're here. You're the salt of the earth. Now this is Jesus' words. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? And the it there means the earth or the world. And so Jesus first says, we're the salt of the earth. But he says, if the salt loses its seasoning or the flavor, then how is the world going to be seasoned or flavored? He goes on to say, it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So when I lose my saltiness here, how will people ever taste godliness? And he ultimately says, then it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So literally, when we lose our, our saltiness, I become really useless and of no value to the kingdom of God. And so God wants every one of us to be salty for his glory. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. And when he talks about the world, it is a place that's alienated from God and it opposes God. We're not just talking about this physical thing called the world. We're talking the makeup of people here also. And so he says, you're the light of the world. You're the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And it's indicating salt and light to be the, the seasoning or the influence of good on a, on a secular society. And so this is what God's desire is for every one of us. And we talk about the world. 
It's a place that's influenced or by the grip, the sway of the evil one. That's 1 John 5, 19. And so when you look at the world, it's always tugging on us. And it's pulling on us. And one of the ways that we lose our salt and we lose our light is when I, I'm quiet when I should speak. When I deny Jesus as Lord. When I go along with the crowd or the majority. When I live in habitual sin, then I've denied the light. And Jesus never intended us for to do that. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand that it gives light to all that are in the house. And so looking at that verse right there, every one of us in this room, you have a vital place in this world. Jesus literally says to me and you, you're my hands, you're my feet, you're my voice. You know, in, in uh, John eight twelve, he said that he was the light of the earth, the light of the world. But then he says that to me and you, you're the light. And so we become representatives of him. Just as Jesus had a mission on this earth, so do every one of us. Verse number 17 or 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. We're not to deprive a world of its only light. But in order for me to be the light, I must make an effort to affect the world. And when I live like the world, I I become no heavenly good when I begin to imitate it. And so he said, let your light shine. Let men see the things that you do. Now, just for a minute here, I, I want you to think about this. That as a man, have you ever had another man... Be an influencer for the kingdom of God to your life. Where you looked at that man, you said, man, that's a godly man. That's a godly husband. That's a godly daddy. I believe every one of us in this room, and as women, you may say, that is a woman of God. That's a Proverbs 31 woman. That is a godly mother. That is a godly wife. And so literally what, what the Lord Jesus says, I want you to duplicate it. I want you to be the same influencer here on the earth. And so again, we have a huge part to play in this world. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2 now. In this passage here, the apostle Paul, he says very similar things. Uh, That is what Jesus just talked about there, what we just read. And so we're going to highlight some of the things he said here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, as you have a responsive obedience, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I don't work out my own salvation for salvation, to be saved. But as, as a child of God, I work out my own salvation so that people begin to see in my own life, in your life, that there's a change in me. One translation says we work hard to show the results of salvation. And so Paul is in no way preaching that salvation is dependent on one's great or continued works. But salvation is manifested through each one of us 
when people see the good works in our life. In other words, there should be a change within us. People ought to begin to notice that you're different. You don't act the way you used to. You don't talk the way you used to. You don't curse the way you used to. You don't get drunk like you used to. And everything points back at Jesus where you look at people and say, the only answer for this is Jesus. And I can tell you in my own life, that's how it is. That when people begin to look and I get around ones that I went to school with and they said, you're different. I love it. I love to hear that. And I say, it's because of Jesus. You don't act the way you used to because of Jesus. And you're still married. It's because of Jesus. And you actually like each other. And it's because of Jesus. And so everything falls back. And, you know, Matt talked about it that so many times we look at the disciples in the Bible and we think, man, those guys were great men. Those guys were a bunch of losers like every one of us until Jesus came into their life. And because of Jesus, there was a transformation. And that's the same thing that he wants to do with us. Keep reading. Verse 13. For it is God. Ooh, that's good right there. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So when we look at this right here, God has a part. And you know what God's part is? He's going to put a desire and the power or the ability within you to fulfill his plan. But you have a part. And you know what your part is? That you surrender to God and you submit control over to him. And so when I get born again, I confess Jesus is Lord of my life. And as if he's Lord of my life, then I submit to him. And say, Lord, I want to please you. I want to live for you. You know, the next time in your life that you're having a hard time obeying, Just ask God to help you. Say, Father God, I ask you right now, help me to obey. Grace me to obey. Grace me as a sinner to obey. Keep reading. Do all things without complaining and disputing, without arguing or without grumbling. Now, just think about this just for a second. I don't know in the history of society where I've been alive that you hear more complaining and grumbling as right now. I mean, it's everywhere. Every day you go, and you know what right now you hear? It's too hot. And the winter, it's too cold. And we complain about this. and we The the problem is, isn't that the world's not going to complain about those things. The issue becomes... Do I complain and do I grumble? Because if I'm a complainer and a grumbler, it shows me that I've gotten caught up in the flow of the world because that's how the world acts. And I will tell you this, I've gotten caught up in that where periodically the Lord will deal with my heart and literally quit complaining, quit grumbling. And sometimes it's like a light bulb flashes on the inside of me and think, golly, that is me. Lord, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a grumbler and a complainer. I want to be a praiser and a worshiper. He goes on to say, verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless, uncorrupted, and harmless, innocent, children of God. I am a child of God. Without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So he's telling me right there, The flow of this generation is going to be that of crooked and perverse. Now, in saying that, when I say the word crooked, what's the first thing that comes to you? 
I mean, when I think of a crooked person, I think that's someone who'll cheat you. They'll lie to you. They'll deceive you to get whatever they want. The thing he's telling me is, don't you get caught up in that. You know, the way our world flows right now is it's easier for some people to be crooked and cut corners and do what they want instead of just be godly and have some integrity. And so really, that's the same as me and you. Don't be crooked. Don't let that describe your life. How I mean, you know people that are in business, and that's the definition. Man, I wouldn't do business with him. That dude is crooked. Don't let that be said of us. And then he said, a, a perverse generation. Keep reading. Hold fast the word of life. Hold fast unto the word of God. That, that when I hold fast to the word of God... The Word of God, it begins to transform my life. And the Word of God, it brings into every one of us a thing called moral purity. A thing called holiness. It's a thing that we don't see much in the church anymore. That you don't hear holiness taught on. And Jesus said that He was holy, so you therefore be holy. And to this day, when you get around a a woman or a man of God that's holy, man, you ought to say, Lord, I I desire the holiness that they have in them. I want to be holy. And this is some of the stuff he's talking about. But first of all, he said, hold fast the word of God. And so for every one of us in here, the word of God is, is my livelihood. It's my link to God that every day I must live by the word of God. And when people ask you, Why you do that, you say, because the Bible tells me so. Well, why do you do this? Because the Bible tells me so. My answer for everything is because this is what the Word of God said. So he tells us here, hold fast to the Word of God. That I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I have not run. I haven't run this race in vain or useless. I haven't labored in vain or with no purpose. And so what he wants us to be is living proof in every one of our lives of what God has done. He wants us to shine. He wants you to shine. God wants you to achieve in this earth in incredible ways. He wants you to prosper. You know why? Where you can look at people and say, the reason I'm so successful at my job is because of Jesus. The reason I do well in life is because of Jesus once again. This is how he helps us to shine. Keep reading. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of faith, I am glad and I rejoice with every one of you. And so when you begin to look at this, every one of us has a vital place to, uh, part to play in this place called earth. God has a purpose for you. Now, go with me to the book of John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're going to dig in here just a little bit more. I'm going to go to John 17 and I'm going to go back to John 13. And I'll start in verse number 6, and then I'm going to jump to verse 13. John 17, verse 6. I have manifested or I have revealed your name to the men whom you've given me out of the world. Now, I believe right here Jesus was talking about the apostles. He said, you've given me, and, and they came straight out of the world. You know, every one of us in this room, we've come right out of the world. And the only thing that changes us is when we allow Jesus to come into our life. So he said, right out of the world, 
They were yours and you've given them to me. And they have kept your word. Something happens when I keep the word of God. Again, I'll say it this way. You get into the word of God and God will get into you. And something begins to happen when you just day by day by day by day hold fast to the word of God. Now pick up with me in verse 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's an interesting phrase he says there. That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I believe every one of us as human beings, we try to get our joy filled by the things of this world. Whether it's a vehicle, whether it's the latest, greatest clothing. I mean, we have this thought, man, I I am going to go on this seven-day cruise and it's going to be incredible. Well, you know what? It is going to be incredible. And it will bring a temporary joy. Guess what happens after seven days? It's over. The only thing that will bring lasting and fulfilling joy in my life is Jesus. That's it. He goes on to say, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And and the reason the world hates the word of God is because Christian values differ from the world. They don't like to hear it. And it's interesting here. Jesus said, they're going to hate you. And as human beings, many times, I don't like that thought. But when you go back and look at Jesus' life, Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was rejected. Because you know why? He wouldn't cooperate with the world. He wouldn't cave into the world. And that's the same as me. So he's given us as believers a warning right here. And he says, listen. They're going to hate you, and it's not because of you. It's because of the Word of God. It's because the stand you'll make. And the longer we go through this place called the earth right now, the more you're going to see that elevate. You are seeing the persecutions of Christians begin to take off, even in America. Things we haven't ever seen, but it's not going to stop there either. Keep reading. He said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And so the Lord right here said, I don't pray to take you out of the world. Once you get born again, the Lord said, I don't want to take you out of the world. He said, the only thing I'm going to do is pray that the evil one doesn't get get you or, or, or come after you in that degree. But he said, I don't want you out of the world. So why would he tell us that, that he doesn't want us out of the world? Again, we're the salt of the earth. We're the city that's set on a hill. So he wants you to shine wherever you're at. And many of you right now, you may work in jobs that you're around people that are very difficult to be around. Good sinners. But you must understand this. You may be the only example of a godly man or woman that they'll ever see. And so the Lord said, I don't want to take you out of the world. He had a mission here, and you're going to have a mission. You know what our mission is? To win as many people to the Lord as we can. That won't always be popular. Keep reading. Verse 16. They are not of the world. They're not defined by the world, 
just as I am not defined by the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so again, Jesus, he he talked about his disciples when they came out of the world. And he said, man, I gave them the word. And here again, he, he emphasizes the word of God on us. So I encourage, get in the word. Make the word of God a daily habit. And you begin to find areas in your life that pertain to what you're going through. And you find scriptures and you hold on to those scriptures. And not only do you read them, you begin to speak them. You begin to meditate on them. And the word of God will begin to transform you. It'll begin to change you. The problem is many times we quit on the word too early. Stay with the word. Stay with the word. Stay with the word. Stay with the word. And the word of God will transform. But it's interesting How did he say sanctify him? How did he say set him apart? By the truth, the word of God. That's the only thing that will bring truth. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And again, guys, he didn't say avoid the world. He didn't say escape from the world. We're part of this world, but I'm just going through it, okay? This is not my eternal destination. And so again, as long as you're here... You're the feet of Jesus. You're the hands of Jesus. And Jesus wants us salty. Jesus wants us to to shine on every person we're around. Now go with me to the book of John, chapter 13. John 13, and this becomes a very interesting passage this morning. I'm going to start in verse 1, and you'll begin to see where this is at real quick. John 13, verse 1. Now, therefore, the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world. You know, every one of us in this room are going to depart from this world. One way or another, either by natural death, when my time has expired here on earth, or the same way Jesus departed and he ascended into heaven. And so it says right here that his hour had come that he should depart from this world. To the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he'd come from God, and he was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garment, took a towel, and he girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin... And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Now, what's going on here is Jesus begins to teach his disciples a lesson of humility and a lesson of servanthood. Now, I don't know if you can really grasp here what was going on. But the disciples who had spent three and a half years with He begins to wash their feet. Now, can you imagine how humbling that was for him, but also his disciples knowing this is the son of God. This is my Lord and Savior. And so when I look at what Jesus did, nothing was beneath him. Nothing. Now, I encourage you to read the rest of that, but for time's sake, I'm going to pick up in verse 14. Now, listen to Jesus' words here. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I'm, I'm reading this passage, and I have to ask myself the question, what was the significance of washing each other's feet? We know this because of the, the, the word of God that my sins aren't forgiven by someone washing my feet. My sins are only forgiven when I repent of them. And then I come under the blood of Jesus and I become washed by him. So I'm sitting here looking at this passage here and I'm thinking, so what was the significance of washing their feet with water? In Luke chapter 7 verse 44 The Lord Jesus went into a home and he looked at Simon Peter and said, Since I've been here, you never offered to give me water for my feet, but this one woman did. And so when I look at that, Jesus himself, he wanted water to wash his feet. But we remember about Jesus that Jesus never sinned. He was without sin. So what was the significance of him washing their feet with water? Go all the way back in the uh, the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 36. And I I want you to see this. It'll come after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then if you've gone to Daniel, you've gone too far. Ezekiel 36. And how I came to this passage is I begin to cross-reference this and begin to see in the Bible what what the the washing of feet or what the, the water was symbolic of. Keep reading here with me as we begin. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. He said, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. When it says he will sprinkle clean water on us, it literally meant an inward renewal Or a restoration. Next verse. I will give you a new heart. A heart that will be pliable and teachable. I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And when he talks about a new spirit here. A a new will and a new attitude. And he says in verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So we go all the way back when they sprinkled with water. So when you begin to look at the significance of water, when I get born again, right after that, most of us in this room have been water baptized. What was the significance of being water baptized? It was showing that the old man was dead and there was a new man. When I get filled with the Holy Spirit, many times the Holy Spirit was symbolic of water. Out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. He was also referenced as the fountain of life. And so when you begin to look at all these things that had to do with water, it was a symbol of cleansing. It was a symbol of a renewal with the Holy Spirit. It was to take me back, and I remember when I got water baptized, that the old man was dead. 
So how does that pertain to when Jesus was washing their feet? Well, in Jesus' days, no matter what you had on your feet, sandals, socks, flip-flops, whatever they wore, it was inevitable that every one of them that walked through the city, they got dust on their feet. You couldn't go through the city without getting dust on your feet. And so the symbolic view of that was, for every one of us in this room, I don't care how godly we are, we touch the world on a daily basis. I didn't say we sin. I said we touch the world on a daily basis. When you go to work, and some of you work a a, a secular job where you're there 10 and 12 hours a day, And I remember when I worked a secular job, I was around a bunch of ungodly guys day after day after day. And I can go and do things of pleasure. I can go and eat at a restaurant and the world is trying to get on me. It's trying to coat me. It's trying to tarnish me. It's trying to tug on me and it's trying to pull on me. So again, it wasn't about me sinning or not. It's just about going through the world. On a daily basis. And so I remembered. And and Shelly worked as a public school teacher. And there were days we would come home from work. And we would bid around the ungodliness of people for so much. That it would begin to weigh on us. And I see that with many of you. And I'm not saying we're not supposed to work an ungodly job. We're supposed to be the salt around people. Again this thought. There are people that you work around today, tomorrow, that the only example of a godly man or woman is you. And so we're not supposed to get away from them. But oftentimes, we become so weighed down after being around the people of the world and the things of the world that there needs to be a refreshing. And there's times I believe our prayer should be, Lord, give me clean hands. Give me a pure heart. Give me a pure eyes, because I remember back to the 20 years I worked there, the things that I saw on a daily basis, the things that I heard on a daily basis. But again, I'm not supposed to run from that. He didn't say, I'm going to take you out of the world. He said, I'm going to leave you right there. So when Jesus washed their feet, he washed his disciples' feet, his own, other believers, and it's the same with me and you, that I believe there's a time where there must be a refreshing on each one of us where we take the water. And again, guys, this isn't the holy water, okay? I didn't go to Israel to get it. This is straight out of the tap. Why am I telling you that? This is just symbolic of some things that Jesus says to do. Very similar to that of the communion elements. What's symbolic of the communion? Of what Jesus did? The bread and the cup. Again, that's just a piece of bread and a cup. But when we do it in a holy manner, it changes things. So when he said the sprinkling of water, I don't know what you're going through. But many times we become tarnished with the things of God. And it may be just a sprinkling where you say, Lord, give me clean eyes. Give me a clean tongue. 
Give me clean thoughts. Give me a, a, a pure hands, a pure heart, Lord, where I can serve you again, where I get back up and I run. And just maybe today, you're one of those ones that falls in the category. You're a habitual complainer. All you want to do is argue. And you say, Lord, that's not me. I don't want to do that. Wash me with a new heart. Put a new, a freshness in me, Lord, where I run again. Why don't you stand up here with me today? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.